welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. This is a special edition, as you can hear. I am not Travis, uh, but I am Rachel. And uh, during this quarantine, we decided, after some feedback from some of y'all that you were fucking bored, um, that we would do <laughs> some extra content. And so um, <clears throat> I have a very special guest. Uh, who is an old friend of mine and uh, tattoo artist um, up in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, did my tattoo, actually, the only one that I have. Um, his name is Eli McMillan. And hi, Eli. Hi. Um, so I, there's this show on Netflix called Waco, and I don't know if it's going to blow up sort of like Tiger King or not, but I imagine it probably will. Um, and I watched it the first day it came out and just sort of binged it all day and then had no one to talk to about it. And so I went to Facebook and put out a call to my friends to ask them if anybody wanted to watch it and talk about it. And Eli said yes. So that's what we're going to do. So, Eli, yes. tell me if you can, um, what, before watching this show, what was your general impression of what happened in Waco? My general impression of what happened with Waco was that the U.S. government basically got away with all sorts of nastiness just because they were going after people that they could pretty easily label as quote-unquote crazies. Okay. Um, from my personal experience, I can remember watching a lot of this unfold on the news as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, this was 93, right? So I was like 14. I was 10. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I remember my dad ranting about Janet Reno and how terrible a mm -hmm. job she had done. Yep. And then later in college, um, a buddy of mine was obsessed with Waco. And so a lot of times when I would go over, he would be watching the latest documentary footage that he could find on the situation. Oh. Um, yeah, he was he was huge in terms of the idea that, you know, this was all some sort of conspiracy to just take power over uh not necessarily well-meaning, but but still um, improperly labeled uh, American citizen. Yeah. And he was concerned with the idea that uh, if they were able to do this with the Waco situation, they'd basically be able to do this with virtually anybody. Yeah. So that we should all be concerned. I, I guess, like, my dad used to yell and scream about it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I just sort of thought it was another one of those things that my dad <laughs> improperly thinks. Um, and so I didn't really take it seriously and sort of just drank the government Kool-Aid of um, this was a weird sex cult and this guy was controlling women and abusing children. And then he killed everybody when the government tried to come in and rescue them. Right. Um, that was sort of the narrative that I was fed. And I just believed it because it seemed very improbable to me that the government would do something so improper. And I was also a very young, naive child. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so my opinion about the federal government at this point is much different than that, um, as my listeners will rightly know, particularly law enforcement um, and the feds. Um, and so watching this, I, I appreciated it, I guess. Um, and gave me a new perspective and none of it seemed very surprising to me at all. And in fact, you know, to your friend's point, to me, it wasn't even so much about trying to take power as it was a cover up. Right. So sure. ATF had already fucked up at Ruby Ridge, mm -hmm. committed murder. Um, I think we can fairly say, and then they were in hot water and then they needed an excuse to still need to exist, right? They were they're looking at their funding getting cut. So they pick this sort of fringy weirdo group and you know that has guns, which seemed to me that they were mostly legally obtained, but um and then go in and start shooting and then it becomes a shootout and then what? So then it becomes a thing of covering up that additional fuck up and then also it's like a weird ego power struggle by these two yeah. white men, right? It's really strange how they doubled down on their mistakes rather than yeah. trying to learn from that previous mistake right. and double down even like so much harder. Right. 
Right. But I mean, he got more funding, right? The FBI was like, great mm-hmm. job. So then that just boosts his obviously very fragile ego. Um, <laughs> and and this sort of weird, like, dick-swinging contest, right, uh, between these these men, it was very frustrating, I guess, for me to watch because it was like, there's like a soul lone person in the room that seems like the adult being like, can you just fucking relax and not do that? Um, Mm -hmm. And in part, I think he's sort of the hero because the series was based in part on a book that he wrote about his life. So that makes sense. And then the um, Thibodeau, right? Thibodeau? Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Yeah. Yeah. He also wrote a book um, that this is partly based on. So, right. What I think is interesting though, for folks that might think like, this is some conspiracy theory, right wing, whatever. Um, like the FBI and the survivors agree on what happened. It's really only the government that doesn't agree. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the negotiator who wrote the book and the survivors of the Waco all are in lockstep on what happened. So it's not as though just the survivors are coming out and being like, oh, the government, right? From everything I can see, yeah. Um, the only thing that I, the only thing that I found online as I was looking this stuff up after was that there's a little bit of a disagreement on how legal some of their weapons were, but but even what I found information wise online was that uh, the weapon infractions were something that would be taken care of by a simple permit, something that would have maybe cost you know seriously like it showed it in the film too, something that would maybe cost twenty five dollars like a, a, a permit to alter your weapon um wow that that hardly that hardly justifies a massacre which is what this was absolutely yeah and i liked how at the end the um like right-wing radio talk show host um Mm -hmm. talks about all the times that tear gas has been used by the fbi or the doj um and resulted in a fire (laughs) Right? Yeah, there was no doubt what the result was going to be going into this thing. They knew full well what they were doing, and they went in improperly prepared because they didn't want to be prepared yeah. for what was going to happen. Um, and the just level of destruction of the tanks and the level, like the amount of gas, is just so insane and unnecessary and Potentially fatal, and from what right? I would have understood, yeah, it would have been fatal by itself, even right. if a fire hadn't occurred. And they especially were using to the flash bombs, which mm-hmm. of course it's going to start a fire. Like they knew. Yeah. Um. So you said something about uh, you said something about being terribly frustrated mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. all the male ego shows in in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of an interesting take. Uh, I was I was watching this with uh, a friend from Laramie remotely and with my wife as well. And I think it kind of depends on what it kind of depends on what the perspective is. Um, I made a comment during, you know, probably some episode in the middle about how I could not believe my eyes seeing all these men just back down cold from all of these assertions David Koresh were making. Never mind the other side. Um and she said that given her own trauma experiences, she was not surprised at all at how quickly these men sort of bowed down. I'm the type of person, I don't try to buy into this whole alpha, beta dominance play that a lot of men try. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, uh, it's not that I necessarily shut it down. I just kind of walk away if somebody tries that stuff with me. Um, and I would never be, I don't think I'd ever be the type who would be interested in or even fall prey to a cult situation like this. Mm. Um, so, so for me watching this, it was really kind of astonishing how readily some of these men just completely threw all of their reasoning out the window to blindly go after what this man was saying when, what this man said barely made any sense. Right. No, I mean, and when his assertions were pretty easy to see through. I mean, I totally agree. I think the ego I was talking about was more on the side of the feds, right? So, like the mm-hmm. the leader of the investigation and the like um, tactical guy, and and like they just hate him. There's so kind of a parallel, because, though. Right. 
in terms of how both of those narratives played out. You know, you've got people like Thibodeau and and he's trying to fight a little bit. Um, you've got that gentleman with the quote unquote PhD in theology. Right, Wayne. Steve. Yeah, Steve. Um, going back and forth, not sure whether he should be listening to Koresh. And then you've got Koresh. And then on the other side, you've got the, the head of the FBI who's making all these calls out in the field. Um, and you've got, uh, oh, I'm terrible with names in these characters. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Michael Shannon's character. Gary. What was his name? Gary. Gary yeah. yeah. Uh, the hero, right? Yeah. The unfortunately ineffectual hero. Mm-hmm. Um, which I also think is a statement in and of itself. So many people who are good and should be listened to are just ignored all the time. Right. Um, I felt like it was really good at illustrating exactly how that feels um, exactly and the kind of struggle. It is, yeah. yeah, the struggle yeah. that real people have to go through I mean, in order to try to get anything done. Right, negotiating reason with people who are being unreasonable is one of mm-hmm. the more frustrating things on the planet, I, I would argue. Yeah. Um, going back to the cult, though, did you grow up with religion? I was raised Roman Catholic. Wow. And... I I was in private school until seventh grade. Wow. Um, we had church at least once a week, sometimes three times a week, uh, not counting Sunday service. Like we're talking at school. Wow. And I had religion class every afternoon. Okay. Um, growing so very up. Much so. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, I was also, um, I was the oldest child and uh, the firstborn, I guess, and uh, very very respectful of authority. Mm. Um, it's still kind of something I have to fight in myself. Mm. So, so yes, I was raised, I was raised religious for sure. I did Uh, not grow up with religion. And so I think it's even more difficult for me to understand watching these people. Like I understand deeply held religious belief mm -hmm. in theory, but it's really hard for me to imagine like, that you would just give up your life, you know what I mean? For this man who increasingly more and more keeps making crazier demands, right? So, so the interesting point of view that I'm coming from, and, and a, a several friends of mine have been in the same boat, right? Where they were mm-hmm. raised this way, but they aren't this way anymore. Right. Is that it's really easy for us to understand some of the mentality of a person who is a believer Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. to some extent we all probably started out that way. The difficult time that we have is seeing a person completely unwilling to confront something that is quite obviously wrong in, in spite of their indoctrination because all of us who aren't followers or believers anymore did have a moment that we had to confront something that we knew was not right. Yeah. For some of us, that started really early. Um, For me and Christianity, um, I could never swallow the idea that an all-powerful, all-merciful, and loving God could be responsible for all these terrible things happening and just sit aside and watch. Um, I was also really conflicted on this idea that there could be evil at all or this thing called Satan or hell. Right. Um, those things didn't jive and they never did. Um, I was, the, I was one of those kids who was always asking the difficult questions right. in um, Sunday school, you know, um, nobody ever gave me a good answer. Everything right. falls back on faith yeah. and, and God's plan. And you, you don't know mm-hmm. God's plan and free will and yeah, sure. The interesting thing is I'm not even sure I believe in free will. Um, (laughs) I kind of feel like that's a lie perpetrated by religion, actually, um, because it's their whole – it's the whole thing that original sin and and forgiveness and transformation and all this stuff is based on, the the idea that this can all be your fault. (laughs) Um, Now, I'm not saying that we don't have some sort of responsibility for our actions, but – but this sort of God-given free will thing, it just doesn't fly with me either. Hmm. So, so when I look at um, 
when I look at Steve, I, I feel really strange because I changed from being a Catholic to being a religious scientist when I was a teenager. Okay. It's not Christian science, which it gets confused for all the time, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, a lot of it does sort of come back on this idea that like affirmations and changing the way that you think can change your mm. world. Kind of like the yes. secret. Totally. So this is how this is the religion that I grew up in. My mom right, right. was all about like I knew who Marianne Williamson was way before she oh. ran for president. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. shit I grew up with was like this yeah. idea that yeah. if you're sick. It's because or something's wrong with you or something bad has happened in your life or you don't have enough money or whatever it is that's going on in your right. It's because of you. You didn't yeah. put it into the world. You're not have the you don't have enough positive energy. You haven't you need to just say these affirmations, Louise Hayes style or But how um, narcissistic is that? <laughs> and also it's totally blind to the notion that you live in a world and a culture and a society and that that could possibly have an effect on you. I remember the first sociology course I ever took, I was still sort of brainwashed in this idea that like it, of course everything is your fault. And they started talking about how like, you know, if the unemployment rate is 13% and you suddenly find yourself without a job, um, there's one way of looking at it, which is that, you know, you did something wrong at work and therefore it's your fault that you got fired or laid off or whatever. And you can also look at like the larger culture that you live in. And like a lot of people have lost their jobs because the economy is in a recession or whatever. Right. And it Mm -hmm. was very challenging to me. And then I majored in sociology (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I realized what nonsense that is and, and how much it puts the blame of larger cultural and social ills on the individual in a way to sort of skirt responsibility for our um, need to take care of each other. Well, it, it is so, it is, I say narcissistic because it is so self-centered. Yeah. Exactly. And and it, it stops. They, they fail to realize that that belief of yours stops the minute that your power, because it is assuming that you've got quite a lot of power, bumps into someone else's power and then you realize there's, you know, 7 billion people on the planet right now. Right. All creating this reality together. How yeah. effective do you think you are as one in 7 billion, really? Right. Um, the, the biggest thing that sort of gave lie to that belief with me, uh, I was 20 and living in Savannah, Georgia. Because mm-hmm. um, you went to SCAD, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Hurricane Earl hit. When it hit down, it immediately got downgraded to a tropical storm. Um, so I guess historically you'd have to look up tropical storm Earl to find any information on this. <laughs> okay. But the irony was that as it hit down, it hit down at the one marina where my wife worked. Destroyed the marina. Um, destroyed her job. Uh, the, the people who had owned that place uh, relocated to Florida. Like that's a better oh, idea, good. but, but There's whatever. No hurricanes there. Right, right. <laughs> I was I was not working at the time. Um, so so all of a sudden, my wife and I are both jobless. Um, I went six months without a job uh, before we could find something else. It was one of the deepest depressions of my life, mm. partially because this mindset that I'd been raised in because it's really not too different from Catholicism. If you think about fault and everything, um, had sort of trained me to believe that I had some hand in this happening to me. Right. And it just knocked me out of that entirely. I couldn't, I couldn't swallow that idea. I couldn't believe in any of that anymore. Yeah. Um, there's no way I caused a hurricane. Right. Right. And you picked the location right? that just so right. happened to be the place where your wife worked. And then it's also additionally <laughs> your fault that you couldn't find work after a hurricane had hit. So, yeah, that's, right. that's powerful. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, goes back to that narcissism idea, though. You hold mm-hmm. on to that stuff. You hold on to that stuff because you don't want to give up the power that you think you might have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in the process of all of that, uh, beforehand, I was thinking about, doing something similar to what Steve had done and get a PhD in divinity. Hmm. Um, 
the interesting thing, though, is that I, I, I was taught critical thinking in Catholic school, which was the <laughs> downfall of me being a Catholic, right? Mm. Um, and I don't understand, it. when I look at Steve's character, I don't understand how he was so easily taken, if he had taken enough time to really gain that PhD. I mean, I just have an MA, right? Right. Took five or six years to get it, because um, I was trying to maintain a tattoo career at the same time. Mm-hmm. And even that required so much reading and so much reinforcement of self-worth that it was a struggle for me. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had issues with, you know, self-esteem or valuing myself since I can remember, you know, just like for me, anxiety is also just a natural place to live. Right. Um, and so the big struggle with finishing my thesis was not based on the research it was not based on the reading or understanding the material. It was always based on whether what I had to say or what I was doing was worthwhile. Mm. Um, and in order to get that accomplished, I really had to step up and and take responsibility for myself in ways that I hadn't before and also assert myself in ways that I hadn't before. Um a PhD, you know, going through the dissertation process was going to be even more rigorous. Yeah, of course. I don't know if I'm interested in going back into academia, honestly, but uh, but I don't see how someone could go through the process of a dissertation and defending yourself as well on that level without having a little bit more of a spine. Right. <laughs> um, he completely gave up everything. Right. All the way, all the way wife. to the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he was a dangerous man, not just to himself, but to to the the person he said he most cared for. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of terrible. It is. And I really, I thought it was important when he was having that conversation with her, when she told him that she was pregnant and he was super upset and then he was going to leave. And she sort of reminded him like, Hey, I begged you to leave when he had this revelation and you said no. And you, I didn't want to be married to him. I wanted to be married to you motherfucker. Like I didn't want this and now I'm pregnant and you can't act like this is not something that you knew was going to happen or that this is my fault or that I'm somehow like a bad person now. Like you did this. The the interesting thing about that in terms of gender politics, Mm -hmm. right. Is that they have taken away women's agency Mm -hmm. Until they find something they want to blame on the woman. Right. And then all of a sudden she's got her agency back and it's her fault. Right. Right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Exactly. Yeah. A man was in charge this whole time. A man that you put in charge over yourself. Exactly. The two men decided that I have to have sex with this dude. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that. And I did it because I had no choice. And now you have to see the product of me having sex with this other man and I'm dirty and wrong and you hate me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 And what they were doing to the, the children is Ugh. 10 times worse. Oh my, oh my God. God. The, she was 12. the conversation with the, the conversation with the two girls I know. over laundry. Uh-huh. I just, I know. it was so cringy. Oh God, it was it so was cringy. Awful. It was awful. The fact that they even had them, brainwashed to the point where they were taking dreams seriously as if they were visions from God. Well, and I mean, that was, I think, I don't know that she had a dream. I think Koresh wanted that 12 year old girl to be his wife. And so he told her, I'm going to need you to seek inwardly and back me up on this. And so, Oh, I'm not saying that it wasn't suggested. I, I believe that these girls were groomed from day one for sure. For sure. Yeah. And again, like, I don't know. It's just, it was so, awful. Yeah. A friend of mine, while, while we were watching it, that same friend from Laramie I was talking about, um, she, she brought some, up something that was interesting. Uh, she said that she was grateful. She was raised Mormon. Mm. She says that she was grateful to be raised Mormon um, and in a situation that didn't seem on the face of it necessarily too different from this. Um, I think Mormonism is a cult for starters. I do too. Um, and given, given all the weird things that's happened in that 
cult's history, I don't think it's too terribly different from this. Mm-hmm. It was just more successful at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing that she pointed out when she said that, I said, wait a minute, why would you be glad that you were raised in that? She said that all of the trauma that occurred to her in her life happened while she was a Mormon, happened while she was supposed to be under God's protection and the protection of all these, quote unquote, elders within mm-hmm. her community. Right. So she knew as a child that it was a lie. Mm. So that being an adult out there in the world where everything gets so much harder yeah. as an adult, um, she was not taken in so easily as somebody like the Thibodeau character is. Right. right? Um, it seemed like Thibodeau's mom was an atheist or something. Right. right? And that was the he, shocking thing to me. I was like, how do you just right. walk into like this weirdo Christian cult and you're just like, sure, I'll hang out. Like what? Right. So I'm talking <laughs> to this friend of mine and she's like, well, she's like, you and I were both raised religious. We know it's a lie. Somebody who has been raised without religion at all, who has had this huge hole in their life, might be far more susceptible to believing, oh, that this, this thing I have not tried yet, maybe maybe that's the answer that I've been looking for this whole time. Maybe there is something to this whole religion thing. Yeah. Um, I guess I wasn't raised with religion other than my grandmother was very religious. She was a Christian and I spent mm-hmm. every summer with her. And so we would go to the Presbyterian church, um, Tuesday for prayer group and Sundays for, um, service. Um, and she lamented the fact that my parents never baptized me. And she would always tell me like, you can get baptized at any time and you don't need their permission. Um, and then told me that she was really sad because when I died and she died, we'd never see each other again because I wouldn't be going to heaven. I was like 10. <laughs> just, just like, that is so fucked up. Um, it is more, it's more fucked up than that. So, so the last time I, I had any real time spent with one whole side of my family um, was my great-grandmother's funeral uh, on, on my father's side. Um, my mother had converted to marry my father. Mm. So huge Catholic family. Um, my grandmother had 13 pregnancies, nine children. Jesus. Uh, she was, she was either pregnant or nursing for more than 22 years. Jesus. Yeah. Um, after the funeral, we're all together in the big family house, having a meal, sitting around in the living room talking. And one of my aunts talks about kidnapping her grandchild um, and having them baptized. Oh, my goodness. Against my cousin's wishes, who was an atheist as well at that point. Jesus Christ. Um, and every, every woman in that family was completely supportive of that behavior. They're like, it's a good idea. We should do that. Yeah. Kid, kidnap the kid bring them to the church, get them baptized to make sure they're taken care of. The funny thing about about all of this stuff, too, is that shortly thereafter, the Pope decided there was no such thing as limbo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, are you are you no, familiar at all with what that is? No, I mean, oh, okay. I know what like, purgatory is, which is sort of what right. I think of as limbo, but that's not? Uh, um, there are two different things. Okay. Um, so, so, and anyone knowledgeable, more knowledgeable on this than I, I I'm not going to, I'm not going to sweat any comments about this. This is just my understanding is how I was raised. Sure. Um, purgatory used to be, because it doesn't exist anymore according to the Pope either, uh, purgatory used to be the place where souls would go to purge all of their sins. Okay. So that they would later be um, fit for heaven. Right. Limbo is where the souls of babies would go if they died um, without being baptized. It was like purgatory light, right? Right. Um, and what counts as limbo a baby? Doesn't, limbo doesn't exist either. So, but what like counts how, as a baby? Yeah. How long are you a baby? I, I imagine that you're, you're really only a, a baby for, you know, a few years, maybe, maybe up to the age of three. I don't know. Right. But did they I've, like ever I've define that? Like delved in, I've not delved into those rules specifically. <laughs> They're, they're antiquated at this point, okay, so which the I guess is my point. 
it's just straight heaven or hell. Fuck you. There's no. There's no in between. There's anymore. no. There's no in between anymore. So you just, if you're not baptized and you're a baby, you just go to hell. But this, right? But but not only that. This this gives lie to the whole thing. They purgatory itself was something that was created in the Middle Ages, right? Um, that's where you get pardons. That's where you get right. Um, you can pay your that's way where you get the great reformation right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mar- martin luther was like uh this isn't this isn't making any sense to me right um what were those called absolutely. entitlements or something when you pay your way to get into heaven yeah yeah that's so fun. so the fact that you know Anymore as an atheist, I look at this and I just laugh because I'm like, at, at every possible chance they get, in every generation, the church does something to alter or edit its stance that shows you this is not the word of God. This right. is not some mystical, all-powerful truth. Um, they're doing the same thing Koresh is doing. Every time Koresh will um, edit or suddenly have a vision about about the way the world's supposed to work or what life is supposed to be like here. Right. So, and that goes back to some of the stuff that we saw in the film too. And, and weird ways that he would behave to try to reinforce this idea in even his quote unquote wives that, that he was the lamb, you know, um, one comment that really creeped me out was during the one sex scene there is in the, in the show. And he stops and she says, what? And he says, I was starting to enjoy it. And I'm like, bullshit, motherfucker. You've been enjoying it the whole time. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a lie that you're giving mm-hmm. this girl mm-hmm. right now just mm-hmm. to reinforce these ideas. This is pure manipulation. Absolutely. Even if he believes it himself or has talked himself into believing it. He's saying it to her because he needs to mm-hmm. maintain this idea that he's not having sex with all these other women because he's for pleasure. It's right. because he's he's taking it as, as a sacrifice on himself to He has to fulfill the prophecy of having yeah. 24 children. Right. And that and that everyone else can't have sex because that it's too bad for their soul or whatever, but it's fine for him. Um and but he yeah, so he takes himself out of it, which also like I think is intended as a manipulation to make her feel good. Like, Oh, I was giving him pleasure. Aren't I special? Yeah. yeah. And then also like, see, I, I, it is really true. I can't have pleasure because otherwise, you know, yeah, it was Mm -hmm. so gross. Mm -hmm. It was, and so like obviously manipulative, right? Yeah. 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 And you, you can't blame the girls. No. Um, all this stuff does a number on anyone's head. Never mind someone who's had any, innocent way to come about their own sexuality completely taken away from them right they immediately get thrust in this surreal sort of existence where none of this stuff fits together like it should right they have no they have no experience of sexuality in any way that that makes any sense and there's no way for it's all trauma and abuse right yeah right right yeah it's wild and why, what is it with cults? They always have to do a thing with sex. Every time. There's always a sex thing. And it's always like, everybody can have sex for a while. And then suddenly, there's always some weird reason why the cult leader needs to marry all of your wives. <laughs> and you can't have sex anymore. They always come up with something. It's so interesting. And usually money, too. That's usually part of it. It's like, uh-huh. I feel like know, it's got to be some weird primate thing. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess it all, if comes, you, down, if you it all decide, comes down to sex and money. <laughs> right. If you, I guess if you realize at a certain point you have total control over these people, mm-hmm. what is sex other than power for some of these people, right? So I, the ultimate power is to take sex away from you, and I want to see if I can do it. When you're a perpetrator, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, like, that 12-year-old sure is hot. It's just I don't – I can't with that. Mm-mm sick and at the same time i will say all of this is true right Mm -hmm. and none of that gives the federal government license to come in and burn 76 people alive right right but that's how they got away with it yeah and i mean i believed it right 
I totally was like, oh, that makes sense. Weirdos. I, I thought he they killed them. themselves. Me too. Mm-hmm. Like Jonestown yeah. had happened, you know? Right. So I was like, okay, so this is one of those things. White occult people. And then like after this happened, right, was the weird um, Heaven's Gate mm-hmm. when I was a little older. So that just reinforced it for me. I was like, okay, that's what happens when you're in a cult is you kill yourselves. Um, and I never thought about it again, but I thought it was also the interesting really- thing with that is that we let them. Yeah. No one tried to go in and stop that. Right. We didn't burn them alive, which is just. I don't think that when the ATF went in to try to get, get the guns in the in the beginning, right? When they really mm-hmm. initially first went in, I do not think they intended to have it become a shootout. I think they intended they wanted a camera guy there so they could have it shown that like, see, you need the ATF so you could go in and see this room full of guns and they could confiscate them and do a press conference. That's what I think their intention was. And then I think the shooting started. I think it was absolutely by the ATF, right? And mm-hmm. then that then the rest is history. But I really do think it was just supposed to be like a, a press release of like, see, this is why you can't cut our funding. These people have illegal guns. <laughs> at the same time, I wonder how this plays with current views on the Second Amendment for most people. Right. You know, uh, what is all this talk about the government trying to take your guns away now? Right. Where was it? Where was it back then? Right. Um, that they was another. Literally that murdered another... so many people because they had guns, my, which you're allowed to have. Yeah, my father was a member of the NRA. Mine is too. And uh, and that was the biggest thing that he was railing against Janet Reno for. Yeah. Um, all of my father's guns were 100% legal. At one point in time, he was um, he was a campus cop for CSU. Oh wow! So he was also he was also trained. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was talking about. Um, and he seemed to actually be more on the side of the cult. You know. In Mine this too. Mine too. And then, when I, I asked my dad about it recently, the other night. I just said, I want you to watch this show. I think there might be something on Earth that we can agree on. And he was like, Well, it depends on whose side this is coming from. And I said, Well, it's certainly not the uh, standard story coming from the federal government or the DOJ. And he was like, mm-hmm. Well, I think when you um, use incendiary devices after pumping a, a house full of tear gas. Um, that's probably murder. And I was like, I agree with you. (laughs) Um, and so we talked about it and he said he'd watch it, but it's like one of the rare things that we can agree upon is our hatred of prosecutors and cops. Um, (laughs) which his hatred of prosecutors is new. Um, and is only because, you know, prosecutors yeah. Trump and yeah. all of that but it's cool because I've got him to like agree that prosecutors are terrible and corrupt and he has to agree with me about that now which I love so it was really hard to watch the end um, I didn't really understand before watching this I knew that like Waco had to do with the fire Right. Mm -hmm. But I, again, I I didn't understand what that meant, really. And just like watching their desperation at trying to get out and being locked in. And it was just really, really tough to watch and really, I think, well done in the way that like we can talk about those religious weirdos who killed themselves. But like really watching what happened and imagining those 76 people burning alive is horrifying and and rightly should be um thought of as as really like a sort of a war crime and and, as and it was really it was, well laid out yeah. in terms of how it was illustrated they show you explicitly how as the tanks were going in they were destroying all the entrances mm-hmm. um they show you step by step how they were encountering each obstacle to mm-hmm. trying to get out mm-hmm. so whoever tactically planned this made sure they were all going to die in there. Yeah. It, it's unquestionable. Right. Um, the, the thing that I thought was inconsistent was, um, oh gosh, who was that other guy? The other leader of the ATF. Maybe I should Google this really quickly. The guy that was in the house with John Leguizamo? No, no. 
Um, the guy who acted as if he was trying to get um, one of the wives out from that bus during the fire and acted all Oh, no, all he was upset. the tactical guy from the FBI. Okay, okay. Um, I felt like that was completely false. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a huge mistake on part of the... Uh, on part of the filmmakers. I don't know if they were trying to do that to show some sort of humanity coming from that side. I didn't How did you that. interpret that? I didn't need it. I didn't think it was true. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't need to have humanity from him. I don't, I guess it was maybe their attempt to be like, he had to watch her burn to death and now he feels bad about all of the terrible things he's done. But I don't buy that either. I mean, as we've seen time and again, Men like that, when faced with a mistake that has that kind of magnitude and gravity, will always fall back on, I had to do it, you know, they pushed me to this point, they were dangerous, they were abusing me, they'll justify it all day long, they're never going to be, they're never going to have that moment of, I did this, and I feel terrible. Their ego is too fragile to take on any responsibility for what just happened. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. That would be mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. much to to fathom, to handle. Yeah. So I don't I don't buy it and I didn't like it. I'm with you. Oh, the other thing I was gonna say is it's also very obvious to me that, you know, when the lawyers got brought in, mm-hmm. I remember that being part of the story that they were gonna be like they negotiated that the Texas Rangers were gonna come get them out. Because yeah. they didn't trust the FBI and the ATF to, A, do it safely, and B, mm-hmm. not destroy the evidence of what happened. Mm-hmm. And then the last scene, when you just look at this building, and it's there's nothing left, right? And you just think, like, <laughs> well, there sure isn't any evidence now of what happened, is there? Mm-hmm. Not a single shred nowhere to be found can we really know what happened because you burned the entire structure to the ground mm-hmm. and everyone inside right yeah and they constantly do that yeah. uh, looking at what's going on with the pandemic right now i'm sure they're going to do that with all this too yeah i'm sure uh the minute they can try to get back to any semblance of normalcy they're going to try to write over all the mistakes that they made during this process and during this time. Totally. I mean, they already are, right? Mm-hmm. We're already talking about uh, how like, we didn't do anything wrong. And sure. It's not that bad. It, it, and... It's harder to do while the thing is actually occurring. What I'm afraid of is that once we're through, we're going to be stuck with all kinds of people denying all sorts of things that we all know happen. There's going to be this really weird group think 1984 style stuff going on where People are going to start denying how bad this actually was. Hmm. You think? Yeah. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. That's terrifying. Hmm. Wow. I don't know. It's interesting. I just keep thinking, like, I don't know how we, I don't know how we go back to normal. You know? I don't want to. No, I don't either. (laughs) I don't want to. I don't either. But I don't know how to ever feel not scared of, you know, like, how do I go back to, like, eating at a restaurant with other people and having them put their hands and their faces and their mouths next to me is just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds utterly terrifying. But that's the thing I miss the most is eating at restaurants, right? I don't know. The the older I had gotten, the more I'd become that takeout person. Mm. I would rather have that meal in an environment that I've got control over Mm. only with people I care about being around than doing it out in public. And when I would eat out in public, uh, you know, usually the wife and I would try to find like the most private area of the building to eat in. Mm -hmm. Um, I love I think going it's, to a restaurant and like ordering a cocktail and having an appetizer <laughs> and like people watching and eavesdropping in other people's conversations and like <laughs> I love it. But I'm an extrovert. Like I love people. I love being around. My hobbies are hanging out with people primarily. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. So 
Um, I miss that kind of stuff. But I also have no rush to to go back to any of it right now. Like there was a rumor going around at work that we were going to go back in a couple of weeks. And I was like, no, <laughs> why? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. What's different in two weeks than it is right now? We don't have any testing. We don't know who's infected. I don't have an office. Like, I'm not going to just go sit in a building and hope nobody breathes near me. No. Um, well, and the interesting thing about my line of work, too, is that there's all kinds of conflicts. Um I don't watch the news. I try not to. Yeah. I, I I still take news in from sources, usually things passed to me from friends through mm-hmm. social networking or talking, right? Right. But uh I made sure because of a, a because of a work meeting uh that my wife had um where they said that he was going to announce something that day. Mm-hmm. I made sure to watch the the press conference on Monday. Mm-hmm with polis um i was screaming at the television the whole time (laughs) (laughs) he he wasn't he wasn't making any sense he wasn't listening to any health officials um everything that he was saying was a complete mistake and i knew it uh but immediately that sort of puts the responsibility on me now Um, i haven't made an announcement on any social platforms yet as to my take on this in terms of what I'm specifically doing with my business. Right. But, um, there's no way I'm going to open on the 1st of May. Right. Given what's going on right now, statistically. Right. And where we are in this problem. Um, how close contact a tattoo is. Yeah. I'm not, there's no social distancing. Okay. No. (laughs) Even even the way people are talking. So I've got, I've got friends who are, um, on the board in Nebraska. I know people on the board in Indiana, uh, regulatory boards for how tattoos should be done, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, no direct contact except with my personal, um, county representative as a tattooist. Uh, but like all these things people are talking about in the media, have absolutely no bearing on my situation at all. Um, I need to amp up all of my PPE as if I am a medical professional. Right. The conflict there is, one, how do I even get my hands on that stuff? Right, and then you're taking it away from... Exactly. Yeah. If, If I take the time and the trouble to get my hands on all this equipment that other people are having difficulty finding when they're medical personnel i feel like i'm actually hurting the cause yes um so i'm trying to figure you know are are there any logistical workarounds that make any sense if i can't find an n95 mask does a cloth mask with a filter work as well um if i'm not gonna if i'm not gonna think that that is good enough am i gonna double up am i gonna get a face shield to put on top of that um I have to go to work in scrubs now, um, which was something I always kind of wanted to do before, but but feel the need to now, mm-hmm. uh, just so that I'm not bringing anything unwanted home. Um, all kinds of stuff is going to happen with this business that that I need to take more time to prepare for, because this is not going to be over in a year. It's not going to be over in two years. Right. Um, Listening to an epidemiologist talk about all of this stuff yesterday, he said that the the record right now for the fastest creation of a vaccine is still four years. Um, wow. That was a long time ago, but that does not mean that the process is going to be that much statistically, you know, quicker. Uh, if the record is four years and we're talking in the media about getting it done to a year, a year and a half, that is pure smoke. Yeah. Um, wow. Think maybe two or three years at best, just because, and even then, just because the technology's only gotten a little bit better, right? How do you feel about how often we're being lied to? Because I have mo- I have mixed feelings about this. Okay. In the beginning of this whole thing, they told us that we don't need masks, that they're not effective, 
And I, I knew that that wasn't true, and I knew that they knew that that wasn't true. But I also knew that what was happening with toilet paper made them believe that if they told us we were going to need masks, there would be literally no masks for medical personnel anywhere in the country. Okay. So, then, Then they're like, we're going to stay at home for four weeks. And then it gets extended mm-hmm. and extended. I think they've always known it was going to be at least until the end of May. But they've been giving it to us in little chunks because I think they knew that back in March, if they had said you're going to stay home till June, nobody would have done it. People would have they don't lost want their people minds. to freak out. Exactly. But, but let me let me let me pause there for a second. Um, masks only work one way, um, unless you're talking about an N95 mask. Uh, so so if you if you look at a surgical mask, for instance, or if you look at most of the cloth masks that people are wearing mm-hmm. these days when they're out in public, um, they're not working the way most people assume. That mask is not protecting the wearer. Right. That that mask is protecting everyone else. And so when they first rolled out information about masks, it, it was because, honestly, what I saw in the public when I would go out, because... Uh, Though my wife and I are both in the top tier for risk, mm. um, my wife is worse off than I am. My wife's got you know autoimmune disorders and asthma. Mm. Uh, it's not worth. There's no tattoo in the world, right? That's worth me putting her at risk, right? So um, I'm the one that's been leaving the house and running errands. So I, I've been seeing the progression in public and how the p- people have been behaving this whole time. At first, I saw a lot of people walking around wearing surgical masks. And most of the motivation behind this was not altruistic. Right. It was believing that they were protecting themselves. Um, the reason this thing that that doesn't do anything is because it doesn't. It doesn't protect you at all. Um, as you're walking by someone, um, especially if you're in their slipstream or if you're in the area where they've just exhaled or coughed out these droplets, um, there are several ways for those droplets to get around that mask and into your system. Never mind the fact that your eyes are huge mucous membranes in and of themselves, right? Um, it's not protection at all. Uh, the, the only thing that the mask is protecting is or, is, or stopping, or, or at least not, not entirely stopping, but putting some sort of damper on, is how much you're expelling yourself when you breathe out or right. when you cough. Right. And it's also keeping you from touching your face. Right. right. Like you, you're not touching your nose or your mouth um, when you've got that mask on. And so it, it might seem like a lie to some people. If they're only looking at one part of the situation or if they're only looking at at it from a point of being maybe a little ignorant about how this stuff works to then being educated on how it works and how that sort of flip flops in your mentality. But I mean, if but, we. If, but those aren't the lies so much as what we're hearing from the rest of the media about everything else in terms of what Trump was putting out about the timeline of this, whether or not we had to worry, whether or not he's even doing what he's supposed to. Um, places that did everything correctly are not suffering right now like the rest of the world is. Um, you can look at South Korea and see what they did. Yeah. They isolated yeah. immediately. They isolated. And tested everybody. Everyone. And then trace Where's the test? Right. I haven't seen a test. Well, I'm not going so, anywhere until there's fucking right. testing. I'm not doing it. I there's so, no way for us to know who's sick if we can't test. So uh-huh. I'm not going anywhere until that happens. Period. In in having a conversation with other tattooists in different places too. Uh, a friend of mine from Indiana was like, I, I've automatically put up on the website that I'm not I'm not gonna tattoo anyone who hasn't been tested yeah. and gotten a negative res- result. Right. Um I don't know what the situation's like in Indiana, but here in Colorado, if you go to the website, there's two kinds of people who can be tested. They've got it labeled in three or four tiers, but they all say the same thing. You have to be displaying symptoms. Right. Or you have to be working with people who are displaying symptoms. I, right. No, I mean, I got sick. um, Yeah. And I was terrified, of course. And called the nurse line, the Denver Health nurse line. And said, you know, this is what's going on. And they have like this specific, like, if this is COVID related, press three. And I love Denver Health, um, especially the nurse line. But so I talked to this very nice lady for like an hour. And um, we went through a litany of questions. And I had a, a, 
I was I tried to convince myself for two days that it was allergies because my nose was runny and my eyes were watery and my ears were clogged. But I we had don't this, want to be hypochondriacs, right? Right. But I had this like persistent cough, and I was like, well, it's just it's just mucus, right? And then by like day three, I was like, oh, it's really not good. So I called. And by the time the hour was over, she'd been listening to me cough. And she was like, honestly, like, it's such a wet, mucusy cough that like, there's just, it's just not, you, none of the symptoms that you have are COVID. She's like, don't forget, like, other colds still exist. Um, yeah. And like, I was like, who the fuck gets a cold in the middle of a pandemic? Um and she was like, I mean, other viruses and bacteria don't care that COVID exists. It's still going to exist right. everywhere, right? You can still get the flu. Um, but she was like, we... You could also have it all at once. <gasps> oh, my God, right? Um, yeah. But she was like, at this point, like, you don't have enough of the symptoms and you haven't been in contact with anybody that's tested positive. So there's not enough information for me to like, get you a test. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting, I thought, because I had a cough. So I thought, like, well, okay. Um but I heard today from one of my coworkers that there is now antibody testing available at Denver Jewish Health um, in a drive through fashion for anybody. So you can go in and see if you have had it. Which is interesting when you think about even safer at home rules saying that you should be staying within a 10 mile radius of your home. Really? Why? Mm-hmm. So that we can track where you've been? In order to in order to keep uh, the virus from moving around, yeah. Mm. So it's like that's great for people who live there. Not so hot for everyone else. Right. I mean, it's not within ten miles of my house. I don't think. Right. That needs to be everywhere. Yeah. You know, right. um, and especially given how the numbers are just increasing uh, in terms of the people that they're finding who are asymptomatic while they're still caring. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. The low number I heard was 25%, but I've heard as high as it it being possible that 50 to 60% of the people who get this are never going to present with symptoms. Right. Which is why this one is so scary. You know, Mm -hmm. I got the swine flu back in the day, right? 2009? Yeah. I was going to CSU and I have never been sicker in my entire life, right? But the reason that it wasn't this is because by the time you're contagious, you're so Mm -hmm. fucking sick that you're already in yeah. So no, yeah. no, everybody's self-isolated because they were so sick and so fevery that they were literally floored in bed, couldn't get up. And that's when they were contagious. This one, mm-hmm. you're contagious without even knowing that you're sick, without being symptomatic. Even if you get sick, eventually, you can be symptomatic, asymptomatic, and contagious for weeks before you actually mm-hmm. develop symptoms, which is what makes it utter, like, it's the worst combination of things, right? Airborne, asymptomatic, and contagious at the same time is like mm-hmm. that's why it's a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. We're just lucky it's not deadlier than it appears to be. You know. Potentially. 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 Yeah. Um, and it's still bad enough. I mean, they were saying that it wasn't worse than the flu at first, but I, well, the numbers we're seeing now obviously are. And they're saying that there's like some neurotoxicity things happening, um, and some could be like permanent liver stuff. Um, and some like permanent brain stuff that is not akin to the flu. So we're still seeing all kinds of new symptoms pop up too. Yep. It's going to be a long time before we really know what we're looking at. Yeah. And that's the thing people have to remember about science. Like this is new. So just because we didn't know this on day one doesn't mean it's not true or that we (laughs) were lied to on day one. It just means that we don't know what we don't know. Every time we learn a new thing, then we have to absorb that new thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the scientists are wrong or stupid or right. It's just, they're just learning. And we should listen to them. They've, they've got the only reliable information, right? Yes. Where, you know, where is anything else coming from that, that would give you any evidence that you should trust it? Okay, well, anything left to say about Waco or this pandemic? Stay home, man. Yeah, <laughs> Stay home. Just sit in your house. It's not, I mean, it sucks and it's hard. Like yesterday, I had a really tough day. Um, you know, I was cranky and then I, I realized that that was a cover for depression and then I got really anxious and it was just a shitty fucking day. Mm-hmm. And. There's going to be days like that, and you still have to just sit at your house. That's just what you have to do. Please. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Eli. It was so fun talking to you. I miss you. My pleasure. I miss you too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned, stay active, stay engaged, and uh, I'll see you soon.